Father, we thank you for your great love and kindness towards us. And we pray right now that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our souls to hear from you. And that's what we pray happens now is that we hear from you, not from me, but from you. We pray wonderfully, graciously, and supernaturally that you would deposit something good into everyone here in this next four and a half hours. Amen. Yeah, not many people saying amen to that prayer. <laughs> not the end of it anyway. So, um, so listen, um, we were here two weeks ago, and I talked about the very first question that God ever asked in the Bible. And if you were here, you'll remember what it was. It was three words. It was, where are you? Where are you? The very first question in the Bible in Genesis 3. And today I want to look at those two other questions that God asks in Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn it on or uh, open up Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look in a moment at the, at the next two questions that God asks. And wherever you are on this thing of faith and life and, and uh, whatever you believe, your answers to these two questions will absolutely determine how your life plays out. These questions are that important. They really, really are. Um, and we know that all questions are important. Right? We all have questions. I remember years and years ago, I went to visit uh, a youth group. And when I was there at this youth group, we, we had a meal together, first of all. And uh, we're sitting around the meal table, and then we were going to do some youth activities. And uh, as we're having this meal, this, this lad, maybe 12 or 13 years old, he looks at table, across the table at me. And I could tell, you know, you know when someone's got a question. You know when they're wanting to ask you something, but they're not sure can they. And... And so I said, like, do, do, do you want to say something? And he says, yeah, I've got a, a question for you. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, great. You know, I, I'm the visiting kind of youth leader Christian guy. And he looks at me and he says this. This is absolutely true. He looked at me and he said, can you do an impression of a constipated rhinoceros? <laughs> now, how, now, now, Oscar's rightly shaking his head like, how do you even respond to that? Like, so I looked at him and I said, I, I, um, I don't think I can do that. I don't even know what that sounds like. And then he proceeded to show me what it sounded like. He proceeded to have a go at doing this, which clearly, if a rhinoceros is constipated, it's a quite a disturbing condition. And uh, we should pray for that, you know, for sure. But uh, it, was, it was a weird moment. But what happened in that moment is all of these young people started to, to bring their questions. And some of them were, were weird. And then some of them were those deeper questions that we have that we are often asked that you probably have. Like, God, if you love me, why is there suffering? How do we really know that there is a God? Was the world really created in six days? Whatever it is, how do we know those things? But I remember this, this young girl, she looked at me and kind of looked into my soul, and she asked me this brilliant question. She said, Matt, what is the most radical thing you have ever done as a Christian? What is the most radical thing you've ever done as a Christian? And it, and it, it floored me, because I, I, I really started to think about that. Like, okay, well, how radical is my life of faith with Jesus? How radical really is it? And, and I, I shared a few stories, but I didn't feel like I'd answer it. And I remember driving home later that evening, chewing it over. And I remembered hearing a preacher once who, who said this. He said that you will only ever know if Jesus is truly the Lord or boss of your life. If you want to go one way and you know that he wants you to go another way and you choose his way. 
And I just thought, those are the radical moments in my life when everything within my mind, my body, and soul wants to go one way, wants to live my life in a particular way, and yet I know that the way of Jesus is different, and so I choose to go his way. Now that, particularly in our culture today, as we'll discover, is radical, is radical. When you want to go one way, and Jesus wants to go another way, it's radical, particularly in our culture. And so we're thinking about, in this, this short series of two, two talks, about the fact that not only do we have questions, that God has questions for us, questions that will provoke us like this. And I, I said to you last time that the reason that God asks us questions, and he asks us questions throughout the whole of the Bible, there are four reasons. Firstly, that he wants us to think. And through thinking, he wants us to discover new truths, things that perhaps we weren't aware of. And through discovering truth that we would admit or confess that maybe, and this takes a lot of boldness and courage and humility, maybe we would admit we are wrong about something. And then through that admission and confession, fourthly, that then we would start with his help to change. God asks us questions in order that we think, discover, admit, and change. And, and so, as we get to Genesis 3, just the third chapter in the whole of the Bible, we, we come to this moment where God's created this brilliant, beautiful, and crazy, life-giving environment in Eden for Adam and Eve to thrive. And, and by chapter 3, Satan, the evil personified, has rocked up, caused them to doubt that God is good. And like I said before, doubting God is good causes dislike to God. And if you dislike God, you'll disobey God. And if you disobey God, it destroys your relationship with him and actually with all of us. And so that's what happened. And rather than finding that Adam and Eve, through rejecting God, finding life, they, they find fear and shame and guilt and death and darkness. And that's where we picked up the story. Let me read it again in Genesis 3, 8 to 13. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? That was our question last time. And Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord asked. Have you eaten from the true, true, uh, tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the servant deceived me, and I ate. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so we get that first question, where are you? And essentially, remember, whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He does know the answer, but he wants us to think, what is the answer? And so when he's asking this question, as he asks us every single day, where are you? He's hoping that we'll come to the revelation that ultimately, if we're not with him, if we're not close to him, then we're in the wrong place. And that if we're hiding from God, we're hiding from love and life and all that our souls were created for. And, and, and at least Adam and Eve are honest about this, that they are in the wrong place. And then God asks them these two more questions. Question two, who told you you were naked? Which essentially is God saying, who have you been listening to? What voices, what has distracted you? What's diverted you? What has hoodwinked you? Who have you been listening to? 
And as a result of you being listening to, the third question is, what have you done? Think about what you've done in the light of what you've listened to. Has that worked out for you? Are you now in a better place? What have you been listening to? Because essentially what, what God wants Adam and Eve to understand, as he wants all of us to understand, because every single one of us in this place do not have perfect thinking, perfect belief. And so if we believe the wrong thing, we're going to end up doing the wrong thing because our behaviors flow out of our beliefs. True? Our behaviors flow out of our beliefs. And, and, and so God wants Aaron to get to this place, which is such a hard thing to do, where they're willing to admit that they have believed something wrong that they thought would give them life, but it hasn't. And as a result, they have behaved in a way that's been completely destructive to them. But let's be honest, it's really, really hard to admit that you're wrong, isn't it? Really, really. I mean, if I, if I said to all of you today, you know, just reality check, every single one of us here, you here, I'm talking to you, you are wrong about stuff. You are wrong. And, and I know for some of us, we will be deeply offended by that because we live in a culture that the culture says, you can't be wrong about what you think because it's your thinking. But the truth is, y- some of the things that you are thinking and the behaviors that flow out of it, and the same for me, some of that stuff is wrong. And it's not wrong just because God says it's wrong. It's wrong because actually it is not good for us. It doesn't bring life to us. It doesn't help us. There are things that we think about ourselves. There are things that we think about the world. They are things that we think about God, whether we've been following Jesus for 10 minutes or 60 years, every single one of us have wrong thoughts about all of those things. We still think wrongly about ourselves, we still think wrongly about the world, and we have not got God sewn up. Can I get an amen? It's like, well, where are you going with this? But it's so hard to admit that we're wrong. I remember when I was in my 20s, I was selling uh, my car, and um, and I put it out in just in the local paper to sell it. And I got this phone call from this guy. And he said, uh, Matt, I've just seen you're selling your car. And, um, and, and I, I, I have a business. And in my business, I help people to really sell their car well. And I've got four people that I've spoken to, all of whom want to buy your car. And in fact, they will pay more than you've advertised it for. And so if you would just give me 80 pounds now over the phone, then I will put you immediately in touch with these people and you will, you will, you will, um, you will sell your car. Now listen, you're laughing. I'm laughing. In that moment, I wasn't laughing. I was just like, money, money, money. And I have grown up on the one show and consumer rights show and all these things. I know these things are scams. And as soon as I paid that money and, and put the phone down, I never heard from that guy again. I'd been scammed. I know it's a shock, isn't it? Been scammed. But it was so hard to admit that I'd been duped. It was so hard to admit that I had made a mistake. It's so hard to admit that I'd messed up. 
And, and it's harder today than ever because we live in a media-saturated world where 24-7 the message through, through social media, particularly in all the media around us and all the people around us of our culture, particularly, by the way, our Western culture, let me say this, it is basically saying you sit at the center of your universe. And you can do whatever you want to do, be whatever you want to be, think whatever you want to think, say whatever you want to say. It is ultimately all about you. And this is the Genesis 3 message. Right? We didn't read the little previous bit that Satan had his little conversation with Adam and Eve. But essentially, that was his message right from the beginning. He was saying to Adam and Eve, you don't need a God in your life. You don't need the God in your life because you can be your own God. You can be your own Lord, your own master, your own savior. Ultimate authority comes from you. No one should tell you how to live. No one should have any power over you. You, you should alone should have your own power reject every other power, embrace your own power, keep yourself in the center of your world, construct your world, your identity, your destiny, the way you want it, and then you will be fulfilled. Does that sound familiar? That's the message of our culture, friends. That is the message of our culture. But here is here's the problem with it. Here's, it actually doesn't work at all. It just doesn't work. It didn't work for Adam and Eve. They embraced it, and, and, and they didn't feel good. And not only does it not work, but let me say this to offend some of us, it is thoroughly anti-Christian. It is completely against Christ. You at the center of your universe. There is a God at the center of the universe, and it's not you, and it's not me. That position is actually taken. There is a God at the center of the universe. And the reason that I know it doesn't work is this. Think about it just for a second. Just kind of step back with me for a second. Think about this. That despite, despite our incredible advances in science, technology, and medicine, which I thank God for, don't you? Despite all of the advances, despite the fact that we are smarter now and we understand more about the human condition, about the world now, than we have ever done in the whole of human history, Despite the fact that our culture, particularly in the West, presents this message, be whoever you want to be, it doesn't matter. Despite all of those things, we are living in the greatest mental and emotional health crisis that the world has ever known. The fruit of that message. Think about it. Be free, be free, and yet look around you. Look around the room. Look around what's going on in our young people. We are more confused, more lost, more broken, more anxious, more fearful, more in debt than any generation before us in the whole of human history. Like we are consciously or subconsciously breathing in the oxygen of Western culture, thinking it's life-giving oxygen, but actually it's carbon monoxide and it's slowly killing us. It's slowly killing us, which, by the way, is exactly what Satan wants to do. Now, again, you may be new to church and this whole idea of Satan and, and demons and evil powers. That, that may seem like that just sounds ridiculous. And by the way, that is the way he wants it, by the way. He wants us to think that none of that evil stuff really exists. But just as really if we think that, that there must be an ultimate source of all that is good in the world, and we believe there is, and his name is Jesus, we, we actually believe there is an ultimate evil in the world 
that absolutely has an agenda to kill and to destroy. Jesus put it this way in John 8, 44. He said these words, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is speaking his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan can't tell the truth if it killed him. And he lies. And he lies to us, and he lies to us to deceive us. But the thing is, I don't want to give him any credit, but he doesn't lie about things that don't matter to us. So he doesn't whisper along and say, Alex, um, Elvis Presley's alive. <laughs> like, we know that's a lie. And we know, and, but it's not like Alex is about to go, Elvis Presley's alive. I mean, if it was Steph McPherson, our youth pastor, it could be different. She does like Elvis. But, but like, like that's not going to change my life. That's not what he does. He doesn't do that. But what he whispers to us, and, and, he, and, he, and he whispers things like, oh, no one's going to like you unless you just do look better. And, uh, and, oh, you shouldn't live generously. You need to keep all your money to yourself. And, um, and, uh, and you need a lot more likes on Facebook, you know, than you currently have. And, and, uh, and you know what? Everyone's doing better than you. You need to succeed and achieve. And you need to have power. And, and it doesn't matter what it takes to get to the top. And, and, you know, that person in your workplace that were nasty to them, you'd be nasty back. You should gossip about them. Like, don't forgive them. Don't take revenge. Like, he knows every single one of us in this room, we have an Achilles heel, don't we? Let's be honest. Like, you know, if, if I told you my list, I remember once uh, I was talking to Pete Gilbert, you know, who's my mentor, and I was chatting to him, my daily little routines of confession and stuff, and, I, and, I, and he said, oh, what kind of things do you confess? And, uh, and as I confessed, his eyes were opening. He was just like, that much stuff? I was just like, I really need Jesus. I really do. Because I know there are loads of things the enemy can get me on. Like, he can get me on comparison. I've battled with comparison my whole life. Want to be free from it, not looking at what God's doing with other people or what's going on, but just embracing my life and what God's doing in me. Not worried, you know, there's, there's things in all of us. And he whispers to us and he seeks to tempt and accuse and distract and deceive and delude and divert us from God's, God's best. And, and then, then we, like Adam and Eve, we believe it. And it takes up space in our brain. And then we live out of that reality. Faulty beliefs resulting in faulty behaviors that don't bring life. And Jesus today is saying, who, who, who are you listening to? And what are you doing with it? How do we get back on track? Anyone want to know how we get back on track? Okay, okay. So... People who understand forged notes or forged arts, like you, you know this, you're smart people, you know that, that in order to spot a great forgery, you don't spend your life studying forgeries. You spend your life studying what is real. So people who are checking art forgeries or currency forgeries, they spend their lives studying every single detail of a great bank note or a great piece of art so that when a fake note comes their way, they can spot it a mile off. They know it's immediate. You don't spot a forgery by spending your life investing in forgery. You spend your life by investing in truth. And the good news of the scriptures tell us that truth isn't a, a disembodied concept, that truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He doesn't just carry the truth, but he is the truth. He is the truth. 
And, and so, in a sense, our first starting point, if we want to get back on track, is to give up and let Jesus be the truth in our lives. Now, this week, Boris did a little bit of a cabinet reshuffle, didn't he? There were some losses and gains. And it wouldn't do some of us a, a, a bad thing this morning to make a conscious choice to make a cabinet reshuffle in the leadership of our mind to remove and resign the position of the center of the universe, the throne room of our lives, the leadership of our lives, to resign that position, hand it over to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who knows us, the one who cares for us, the one who came for us, the one who died for us, the one who rose for us, the one who ascended for us, the one who right now the scripture says is praying for us, and the one who will come back to us, and he will restore the whole of creation, and we will be with him forever. Let him take that place. Let him take that place. And so today is a day where we can say, okay, I resign the position of the ultimate authority in my life. Let God be God, and I'll and I'll just be me. And, and, and so that's why we're saying, let's embrace these practices of every day. Let's get on our knees and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I can't do this. I want to think like you think. I want to I speak like you speak. I want to say what you say. I want to be what you are. I want to be like you because you are truth. And I want to live a life of truth. I want to know the truth. Because Jesus said, if you know the truth, it will set you free. It will set you free. Truth is a person so give up, give up, quit, quit trying to be the leader of your life. You'll have good days and bad days, but ultimately quit. Secondly, I'm nearly done, dig in, dig in, dig in, dig in. And what I mean is to this, like we have this amazing thing called the word of God. Dig into scripture, dig into prayer, give, dig into to worship. The reason that so many Christians are powerless against the lies of the world is because we're not grappling with the truth of the word. Let me say that again. The reason that so many of us are powerless against the lies in the world is because we're not grappling with the truth of the word. Jesus models this for us. In Luke chapter 4, right before his ministry, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness and he's praying and fasting. And then Satan tempts him. Satan's trying to knock him off track. He's trying to do everything he possibly can to stop him fulfilling his mission and potential. And it's interesting that, like, I mean, Jesus is God. He could have done anything. He could have zapped him. He could have done, like, my, my brother from another mother, the amazing Theo, yesterday, Theo Garrell, achieved his black belt in Taekwondo. That is awesome, isn't it? So big cheers to Theo. Amazing. Well done, Theo. But Jesus did not Taekwondo Satan. He did not do it. He had something more powerful than the Taekwondo of Satan. Uh, Taekwondo, he had the Word of God. And what Jesus said in that moment when he was tempted, and he was tempted. It wasn't like he wasn't tempted. He really was tempted. But what he said in those moments is saying, you're saying this. It sounds like truth, but it's a lie. And I know it's a lie because I've read the truth, and the truth says this. So I'm going to live by the truth and not by a lie. And the reason we're powerful is powerless is because we don't know the truth. Paul says this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scriptures inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true, what is, make us realize what is wrong in our lives, correct us when we're wrong, teach us to do what is right. And then verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The scripture. And it's not just like we want to get into the Bible. We want to get the Bible into us. 
We want to get it in. And so that when we grapple with it every day, not out of religion, not out of ritual, but we dare to believe when the Word of God and the Spirit of God in us, when it comes together, that all heaven can break loose and that God can start to speak to us and the Holy Spirit can start to ask us questions as we chew stuff over in Scripture, which cause us to think and discover and admit and then to change. I'm so thankful for those moments when I've not been sure what to do, but I've, I've, I've read some scripture and I couldn't tell you where it is, but the Holy Spirit just reminds me of a verse that says this. I'm feeling anxious and there's a verse about peace. I'm, I'm feeling hopeless and there's a verse about hope. I'm feeling uh, sad and there's a verse about comfort. There are, the Bible is full of things that can transform how you're feeling. If you read it, let it go deep and let the Spirit bring it back into you. But it's only if you read it. The truth won't set you free if it's dusty on the shelf. And so that's, again, why we're doing this whole series, digging into the Bible. And that finally, we need, so we need to... Give up, we need to dig in, and finally we need to reach out. Like, we've got to do this stuff together, haven't we? We need to do this stuff together. We grow closer to God. I want to encourage you, keep encouraging, read a little bit of scripture every day, pray it in, do that as your own private habits. But let's come together. This is where we grapple with scripture together. That's why coming together in groups is really important that we can grapple with it together. Because if you study the Bible on your own, there'll be times like me, I'm confused. I don't understand what this means. I I might interpret it wrongly. But together, we can wrestle with it. Together, we can understand it. Together, we can get it. That's why we encourage people as well to break into huddles, maybe two or three friends who are in touch on a regular basis to pray together, keep each other accountable, cheer each other on. Like I'm so thankful for my friends, Phil and John. And every day, they, they, one lives in Folkestone, one lives in Herne Bay. Obviously, I live in Lower Stondon. Every single day, we study a bit of scripture together. Every single day, we write a reflection on WhatsApp, as well as praying for each other and cheering each other on. Because we want to get into this, but more of it, we want the scripture to get into us. So the truth will bring us freedom. Freedom. Give up, dig in, and reach out. Paul puts it this way, Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Right thoughts lead to right behaviors. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God comes to us over these weeks and he asks us these questions. Where are you? The best possible answer for that question, friends, is this. God, I'm with you. As close to you as I possibly can be. When God asks the question like, who who told you? What are you listening to? The best possible answer for your life is this. God, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you, Jesus. I'm listening to you, Holy Spirit, Father. I'm listening to you through your word. You alone show me the way to life and to wholeness. And when he asks you, what have you done? That you will be able to say, Jesus, I've done whatever you've asked me to do. As you have daily empowered me to become more like you and live like you in the world, that's what I've sought to do and be. And then the truth will set you free. Will set you free. Like this is our life's journey, friends. That's why we have church. That's why we are the family of God. Team uh, band, would you just come back up? That would be great. 
This is, this is what it's called, grappling with this stuff together. Grappling with things stuff together. Even, like, I'm sure there are stuff that I've said to you today, hopefully maybe 5% that isn't right. Because I get things wrong. We're learning, we're grappling with stuff together about life and faith, but hopefully leading into life. And before we sing a final song, I, I want to do a little exercise with us um, that you can do tomorrow. Because I want to help you draw close to Jesus and learn to hear from him. So just we're going to do this just for a few minutes. And uh, Si, I'm just going to ask if you could perhaps just play or you guys just play quietly. And there's a lovely verse in the Bible. So here's something you could do. You could do it with any verse. But, um, but this verse is Zephaniah 3.17. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite you, if you wouldn't mind, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything, to close your eyes. And I'm going to read this verse, it's only one verse, three times, slowly, with a pause in between. And as I read it, I just want to invite, even now, we're saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me through this verse. It's a beautiful verse, but we're saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me through this verse. What do you want to say to me through this verse? Eliminate all distractions. God, what do you want to say to me through this verse? The Lord your God is with you. The mighty one will save you. He will rejoice over you. You will rest in his love. He will sing and be joyful about you. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty one will save you. He will rejoice over you. You will rest in his love. He, he will sing and be joyful about you. mighty one will save you. He will rejoice over you. You will rest in his love. He will sing and be joyful about you. And again, just right where you are with your eyes closed, what, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Is there a phrase there that's really struck you that you just want to linger on just for a minute? To meditate means just to chew over. I just want to encourage, encourage you then finally just to turn that thought to a prayer. 
whatever you want to pray, turn that thought into a prayer, your prayer before him. It could be an asking prayer, a, a thank you prayer, whatever it is, turn that thought into a prayer. Jesus, I pray that you would bring a new passion for your word to this church. I pray that you would do something in us where we long to just have time with you. Moments with you. Moments of rest. Moments of peace. moments where we hear the whisper or nudge of your spirit. Help us to build heaven's habits that will help us. Amen. And let me just say this. We do one short prayer and then we're going to um, and then we're going to sing a final song. Like all of us know that like if you don't eat every day, eventually you'll starve to death. And I want to suggest if we don't like that, what we just did like took three minutes, not even that. Please don't tell me you can't find three minutes. And you can't remember every meal that you had. And you might not have even enjoyed every meal that you had but it kept you alive. And, and if you and I don't build these habits of being with God, with ourselves every day, and being with God's family, then respectfully, you are starving your faith to death. Intimacy. Intimacy. And so, so I'm going to say a final prayer into this before the, the guys just lead us in a song of response. And I, like, if you feel that you have been holding the top spot in the leadership of your life, and, and you need to say, you know what, I resign today. Maybe you have even half a cheek on. You've tried to share it with, with Jesus. And he's saying, just let me lead you. Let me reign. I'd, I'd love us to pray together if that's you. So I'm going to ask you to do a courageous thing because it takes a lot to admit that we've tried to be the ultimate authority. Now, if that's you, why don't you just stand with me right now as our, as our moment of confession. If you want to do that. If you want to say, Jesus, I know that I've been trying to be. Don't stand because others are standing. But if, if you know... God, I've been too often trying to swap seats with you on the throne room of my life. That you want to say, Jesus, I give you everything. So, Father, as we stand in this moment of surrender, we give up, we resign, we embrace your reshuffle. 
Lord, be the king, the prime minister, the leader, the boss, the architect, and the lover of our lives. And help us as, as much as we enjoy meeting with other people in every day of our lives, help us to, in a new way, enjoy meeting with you. Making space, making time to meet with you by ourselves and with others. We say right now, Jesus, you are the Lord and the Savior, the ultimate authority over our lives. Thank you that you can carry us and nothing is impossible for you. In Jesus' name.